The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go back this evening to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and for context's sake, we will pick up in verse 45 and read through the end of the chapter. I think that we'll probably save those last few verses of the picture of Jesus Christ as the, the ladder and the connection link, the going back to the, the dream that Jacob had back in Genesis. And uh, I believe that's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ as the only mediator between God and man and also the connection between heaven and earth. And I think we'll, we'll probably save that for a, a message by itself, Lord willing. John chapter 1, verse 43. The day following Jesus would go forth into Galilee, he findeth Philip and said unto him, Follow me. And now Philip was of Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So, as we've discussed in previous messages, Philip goes and he immediately finds his close friend Nathaniel. He's excited that they've found the Messiah, and he goes and finds someone that he knows is also eagerly anticipating and, and looking for that Messiah. We found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel questions him and says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a city that did not have a very good reputation. And it was a very surprising place for the Son of God, for the Messiah, to have been born and to have been raised and to hail from. And with Nathaniel's skepticism, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Just come and see for yourself. You know, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Come and see for yourself. So then they go, Philip takes Nathaniel, and they go and they find Jesus of Nazareth, or 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. An Israelite indeed. Now, he was certainly a natural-born Jew, but Jesus clarifies that he is an Israelite indeed. Amen. 
An Israelite indeed. We're told in Romans chapter 2, this is sprinkled throughout the rest of the New Testament in quite a few different places, but this is a very succinct description of this. Uh, Romans chapter 2, you had a lot of conflict here in the church at Rome between Jews and Gentiles. And he is reminding the Jews here that circumcision or uncircumcision is not the means by which you're accepted by God. He says circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't really mean that much. Verse 27, Romans chapter 2. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge ye, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. And he, he says in verse 28, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Nathaniel had already been circumcised in the heart. He'd already been born again. And certainly he was exhibiting that. We called to work out what God's already worked in. And he was exhibiting that in his discipleship that Jesus clarified. What an amazing commendation for anyone to say this of you. But for the Son of God (laughs) to say that there is no guile, no deceit in him. What What an amazing commendation of the manner of life that Nathaniel was living. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. He apparently was very, very pure in heart. No deceit, no guile. And the blessed promise of those that are pure in heart is that they shall see God. Amen. And boy, he got to see Jesus, see God with his own two eyes. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. And Nathaniel saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? You know, it's interesting, uh, it says here, Jesus saw him. Nathaniel scoffed, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus immediately sees him. He's going to tell him he sees him under the fig tree. But he immediately begins a conversation and says, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Well, you don't have any context to say that, uh, that statement of my manner of life and my purity of heart. You have no way of knowing that. And he said, whence knowest thou me? What, what are you talking about? You, you don't know me. You, don't, you haven't examined my manner of life and my interactions with other people. And uh, I guess it's a safe bet that there's a good chance that he was a Jew. But you don't know necessarily my lineage. You're an Israelite indeed in whom is no gal. And he said, how do you know me? Whence knowest thou me? And then Jesus says, before Philip called thee, When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. When thou wast under the fig tree. Now, the Holy Spirit, in the inspiration of this portion of Scripture, specifically omits what happened under the fig tree. I think this is very similar to the Holy Spirit when... It was the Holy Spirit was moving the Apostle Paul to describe his thorn in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit is purposefully broad and vague in describing the thorn in the flesh. He was describing a specific circumstance, no doubt, a specific event. But with the Spirit 
allowing that to be a broad generalization of a thorn in the flesh, those are, those are, uh, that's a, something that we can identify with. Yeah. Uh, Paul had bad eyesight. If your eyesight's good and that's his thorn in the flesh, then you might not be able to identify with that. So the Spirit purposefully does not give us further information on Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I believe we can all identify to some degree with a painful um, circumstance that doesn't necessarily, it's not fatal, but it is very painful that the Lord sees fit to suffer for the purpose of our sanctification so that we understand that our, our true strength is in the midst of our own weakness. Yeah. So, <clears throat> very similar, I believe, very similar to the thorn in the flesh. Jesus is describing a specific event, okay? There was something that happened under the fig tree, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, purposefully does not elaborate on what happened under the fig tree. And there's a lot of speculations of that. Uh, I really enjoy the, uh, the uh, multi-season series of The Chosen that's depicting some of the life of, of Jesus. And they, they took some, uh, some liberty, not, not unscriptural liberty, uh, to uh, fill in a couple holes. And I, if I remember correctly, I believe they portrayed Nathaniel as an architect or something like that. And I believe his uh, dream of being an architect, there was some structural problem. I think a, a house collapsed or something. So essentially his, his dream had been dashed. He, he uh, desired something and uh, wanted to pursue this in his career, had the dream of building such and such things. And because of, you know, it's not, not good, uh, not a good career uh, milestone. If you're an engineer, when something of yours collapses, that people get killed, right? So he understood his career was over there in their fictional portrayal of that. Uh, and again, I think one of the benefits of that series is it, it just makes you think. Now, that, it, is that what happened? There's a good chance it wasn't, but it makes you think. It makes you think. But what is so significant about this, Scripture specifically does not give us the events of what happened under the fig tree. But what is important is that it is evident that Nathaniel understood that it was only God that knew what happened Amen. in the victory. He was by himself. He was by himself. And this was a moment just between him and God. Right. And you may have had some victory moments yourself. I have. Amen. That it has just been me and the Lord. And nobody else knew the, the full extent of what was happening. And it was just between me and the Lord. And obviously this could have been... A good thing or it could have been a bad thing, but you really lend toward this was a very difficult circumstance. This probably wasn't him being on the mountaintop by himself. This was probably him being down in the valley by himself. And what happened under the fig tree was an intimate, and I, would, and I dare say a pivotal moment in the life of Nathaniel. And he knew, he knew that there under the fig tree that the presence of God was there with him under that fig tree. And, there, and nobody else saw it. He knew that for a fact. Nobody else saw what happened under the fig tree. And this man, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth shows up and says, Before Philip called thee, it's interesting, remember, Philip said, Come and see. <laughs> and Jesus tells him, I've already saw you. I've already saw you. Before Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, in that special intimate moment between just you and God, I saw you. I saw you. And just that statement, just, just Jesus' 
knowledge and, and identification of what happened under that fig tree was enough for Nathaniel to put away all of it. He showed up skeptical, right? right. He showed up. I, I can't reconcile in my, in my head that the Messiah would come out of Nazareth. He showed up skeptical. But just his identification of his knowledge of what happened under that fig tree was enough for him to say, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, but you are the king of Israel. You say I'm, I'm an Israelite indeed. You are the king of Israel. Just his knowledge of what happened under the fig tree was enough for him to say, you are God. Amen. You are the son of God. Thou was from the fig tree, I saw thee. I saw thee. It should be a very comforting thing. It can be very sobering. And if we're living in the manner we ought to, hopefully not terrifying. But it should be a very comforting thing to be reminded that God sees us in every circumstance of life. God sees you. God's, even in the low moments. Whatever, that, whatever those fig tree moments are for you. God sees you. God sees not, not just events, you know. Uh, what I mean by that is um, the way Nathaniel describes this, it's evident that he, was, he, he knew that there was not any, any person that had visibility of him sitting under a fig tree. But even if someone did walk by and see him in that physical location, there's a big difference between our ability to just see events that are happening and then having a full knowledge of that situation, right? right? There's a difference between just, just visually seeing something occur and then the uh, amazing, fully omniscient knowledge that Jesus Christ and God has of, of every circumstance in our life. He doesn't just see chronological events. He knows. That's right. He sees and he knows. And that, that should be such a comforting blessing to us that in whatever circumstance we are in, in the good moments and maybe even those fig tree challenging moments, he sees us in every circumstance of life. And he knows. Amen. He knows. He knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Let's go over there to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Again, not just seeing actions and not just seeing chronological events that happen over the course of history. But the word of God here, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is a man, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the of joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now we don't have the ability to discern between soul and spirit. We don't have the ability to discern properly, even today, between the bone and the marrow. And we don't have the ability to really discern and identify the difference between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But God, Jesus Christ, knows all of the distinctions of that. Amen. He knows the thoughts. and the, He doesn't just know the external actions that you perform. Now remember what he told Nathaniel there. In whom is no guile. That gets back to, to the intentions of your heart, right? Jesus says a little bit later on in, in his ministry that it's not, it's not always the things that come 
that the external actions that you perform and the things that come out of you that defile you, those are just evidences of, of an internal heart problem. And he says that Jesus knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. By the way, he knows if there's some guile down in there too. <laughs> there, there wasn't any for Nathaniel, apparently. But he knows if there's some guile down in, the, down in your heart. He knows if there's some deceit. He knows the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of whom of him with whom we have to do. And then those are the introductory verse. We love the, the, these next verses uh, that we quote very often, but those are the introductory verses that we then arrive at verse 14, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It should be an encouragement to you that God knows the thoughts and the intents of my heart. Amen. And we should be living in such a, a godly way that we're not afraid of him inspecting that. But Jesus knows what it's like to weep over the loss of a loved one, to have, have physical exhaustion, to need rest. He, he knows all of those things. He knows what it is to be tempted of Satan in his weakest moment as a mortal man, as the son of man. He knows what it's like to be tempted. So because of that, he has a special connection and relationship with those that he ever lived to make intercession for us as our great high priest. He understands, he knows, he sees, because he has been tempted just as we are been tempted just without sin. All things are naked and open with <clears throat> under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's go to a Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. He knows you. The thoughts and the intents of your heart. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path all around in every direction. My lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's high. I cannot attain it. I mean, we can't really wrap our head around a God that's everywhere present, nowhere absent, Right? That, that, that there's just no physical way for somebody to be in front of you and behind you at the same time. It just doesn't work in, in the mortal realm. But God guides you by leading you in the front. But he's also protecting your back. <laughs> right? Because of his perfect omnipresence. Such You meditate on that very long. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I can't understand that. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? And whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So Jesus is not just aware of your GPS beacon location, okay? I mean, other people can be aware of your GPS location, but he knows everything about not just the situation that you're in the midst of, but he knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And he also knows the thoughts and the intent of the people who were the other people in challenging yeah. situations that maybe there's conflict, maybe there's struggle. And he has the ability to soften your heart, soften their heart. Right. He's aware of all perspectives and all avenues of every situation. Our information is just so limited. And then he goes on to say here, um, verse 14, I praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. And, and God, he gets even down to the, the molecular level of a child in the womb of his mother in verse 16. Thou eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. <clears throat> unperfect and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, as yet there were, was none of them. Um, I tell you, I am learning a lot in the early stages of us expecting a, a child. Yeah, you are. The, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And lifelong learning to go, right? But they've got a lot of really impressive apps nowadays that allow you to see the, the specific detail of where that child is at at, at every increment of those nine months. And, and it's just, I, I, I mean, I guess I probably heard about it in sixth or seventh grade biology or something, but I did not fully understand the intricacy with which the child is developing at such a young age, at, at such a, an early part of that, that almost everything is, it ends up growing and getting bigger, but almost everything is there within just a very short, just a few yeah. weeks, just a very short period of time. And to understand the molecular biology of that and the DNA that somehow at conception, the DNA that makes up the whole human is already there. And God sees and knows every single bit of that as those, those cells are dividing one by one by one by one. God, and then to understand that God knows and sees and loves his children when they are in that molecular, biological, right. microscopic state. Amen. That is amazing, right? That is amazing. Amen. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And then the summary of so much of this in verse 17, well, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them that they are more in number than the sea, when I awake, I am still with thee. It's amazing that, that he knows us that, that intimately and that intricately. Yes, he knows you that intricately in the womb, but he knows you just that intricately as an adult. In all, in every manner of your life, right? Amen. And that's sobering and terrifying, but it's so comforting. It's so comforting to know that in my weakest moments, He understands your but flesh. 
in your saddest moments, He is there to make intercession for you. He, he understands. He sees and He knows. I want to highlight a couple, uh, a couple instances uh, as we uh, move toward closing. Let's go to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16. And look at the account of Hagar. Now, Hagar didn't sign up for the situation that she got put into. Right. This was all Sarah's doing. This was all Sarah. Hagar didn't sign up for this. And she is a, uh, I don't want to say a casualty, a, a, um, an afflicted party because of Sarah, and by extension Abraham's, lack of faith. What they should have done, what they should have done is just simply wait patiently and say, well, I know it's been a long time, but we don't know the exact benchmark of this 16th chapter, but I think it's pretty easy to assume. It's probably been that 25-year span. It's probably been at least 10 or 12 years. And, you know, I, I don't like waiting a couple weeks for the Lord to answer prayers. You know, I, if I was going on 12 years, I'd, I'd be getting a little, you know, getting a little dissatisfied myself. I mean, it's just the way we're wired, unfortunately. <clears throat> so what they should have done and said, well, I know we're, know we're having to wait. I know we're having to wait longer than we would prefer. But you know what? God said he's going to give us a child. He's going to give us a child. But instead, Sarah said, I physically can't do this. I can't physically have a child because my womb is dead. So the only way that we're going to have a child is by Abraham, you going in unto my maid. This all stemmed from their lack of faith and not trusting the promise of God. So now Hagar is forced to marry Abraham. He goes unto her. They conceive. And then as soon as she conceives, Sarah totally changes her tune, turns on and starts blaming Hagar. Hagar didn't do anything wrong. She's the victim in all this. Sarah and... And Abram are the ones who created this problem. And now all of a sudden you're blaming her. You're blaming Hagar. And she gets so upset. (laughs) Sarah starts blaming him. Verse 5. You know, this is why God has set an appropriate structure in the home that the husband is the head of the wife. He should have told her no. Period. End of discussion. Yes, Sarah, your faith may be wavering. Number one, we're going to trust God. But number two, I'm not going to do this just because you said so. Mm-hmm. I'm the head of this household. But instead, Sarah blames Abram. Well, it, it was his problem because he's the ultimate responsibility. Yeah. So she says, verse 5, Sarah back to Abram, my wrong be upon thee. It's your fault, Abram. Well, yeah, <laughs> you should have stood your ground and been the leader of your household and told her no. My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I will despise in her eyes and the Lord judge between me and thee. And then, then Abram again makes things worse. Instead of him being the leader of the house, he said, Thy maid is in thy hand due to her as it pleaseth thee. And she was very hard with her, very hard with her. And she fled from her face. And Hagar, from Jesus's, uh, from God's interaction with him, she's clearly a child of God. And she's praying. She's praying unto God in the midst of this. And 
this we won't we won't get there today, but but um, this leads so perfectly into what uh, what Jesus told of Nathaniel. That's a picture connection there between a, a Jacob's dream back in the book of Genesis, where the angels of God were ascending and descending upon Jesus Christ as the as the Son of God and the Son of Man, and. What does God do when he sees one of his children that is in, you know, sometimes we're under the fig tree in bad situations because we put ourselves there and we have to deal with the consequences. God does not always alleviate the consequences of your mistakes. Right. But Hagar had not done anything to be in the situation that she's in. And she is afflicted in her soul. And what does she do? She's She's praying. She's praying. And what does God do in response to him seeing the affliction of his pregnant, struggling, afflicted child? What does he do? He sends an angel to minister unto him. Yeah. By the way, what's the, what's the figurative conduit that those angels of God ascend and descend upon? What's the connecting yeah. link? It's, it's Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's yeah. the Son of God. How beautiful is that? That... This is, a, this is a person that is being afflicted and persecuted for nothing that she had done wrong. God sees her need, sees her affliction, and he immediately sends an angel to minister to her. Gives her encouragement. We won't take the time for time's sake to read everything that the angel encouraged her. Um, she's going to have a child. His name's going to be Ishmael. He's going to be a wild man, and every, his hand's going to be against every man, and every man against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Verse 13, <clears throat> she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. Thou God seest me. For she had said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me. Wherefore the well was called, you can read that for yourself, but that means well of the one who lives and sees me. You see, she was in the midst of severe affliction, her own fig tree moment in the, probably the lowest moment of her entire life. And God sent an angel to her and yes, that angel ministered to her, but that was a that was a messenger that showed her that God sees me and knows the affliction that I'm going through. Yeah. And you know what? There may be circumstances that you've had, and those angels may be people in this room. The angel doesn't have to necessarily be a, a stranger unawares, but when God sends people to you, in your lowest moments, in the midst of affliction, that minister to you, that pray for you, that say they're guided by the Spirit to say the right thing at just the right time to help and encourage you and minister to you. I want to tell you, that's not random. That is the Lord see, seeing your need and dispatching someone to minister to you. Amen. And it's not always a celestial, angelic, stranger be sure to entertain strangers because you may entertain angels unawares. It may not always be an angel. Many times God uses the body of Christ to minister to us in, in those times of need. And when that happens, when that happens, that is a reminder that God knows your affliction. 
And he, guided by his spirit, to direct someone to minister to you because he knew and he saw your need. Okay? <clears throat> Let's go to uh, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 16. And here we have um, a beautiful verse, but it's actually in the middle of condemnation. It, it's uh, delivered in the middle of Asa. Uh, was a good godly king for much of his life, but here um, he makes a league. Uh, you have the conflict between the king, the kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And instead of him just praying and trusting God, instead he makes a league with enemies of Israel or of Judah that he should not have made a league with. And the Lord, the Lord uh, sends a prophet. To rebuke him for instead of trusting God, you made a league with ungodly heathen nations. And he says here, he sends a prophet to rebuke him because, verse 7, because thou hast relied upon the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Were not the Egyptians and the Lubims a huge host with very many chariots. Yet, because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. Remember times past when you were facing a great foe and you trusted God and he delivered. But instead, now, instead of you having faith in God, instead you make a league with this ungodly heathen nation for your protection and defense instead of trusting God for your defense. And then you have this beautiful verse in the middle of a condemnation of someone who was not trusting God and someone who, as it describes here, God is willing to show himself strong on uh, the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Well, the other side of that is if that if you don't trust him, God may see fit to remove his manifest presence for guiding you in that specific situation. Now, He'll never leave you or forsake you in an eternal sense and never fully in an experiential sense. But don't expect the, uh, leadance, the, the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit when you choose to live down in the pig pen. Don't expect yeah. the guidance yeah. of the Holy Spirit down in the pig pen, okay? Amen. If you're living in rebellion to God, you know, like, like, uh, like Saul rejected God and, uh, and disobeyed God for so many years and then later on he's seeking counsel and then... He ends up going to that witch at Endor because the Lord had removed the guiding presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. And I'm sure he threw up his, his hands in his own foolishness and said, Lord, why are you not answering me? Well, you've lived in rebellion to God for years upon years. You inevitably do that. God's going to leave you to your own devices. And Asa, unfortunately, not only did he make this mistake, <laughs> but then he gets mad at the... Uh, if the prophet who tells him that throws him in prison. And then later on in his life, he's diseased in his feet and he, salts, he seeks the physicians instead of the Lord. And he ends up dying a old, miserable man because of him, number one, removing himself from confidence and uh, faith in the Lord. But then the Lord is kind and gracious enough to send someone to tell him of what he's doing wrong. And instead of him repenting, he gets mad at the messenger, digs his heels in, and dies miserable. <laughs> the Lord was gracious enough to tell somebody 
send somebody to say, you're messing up, change your course of action. Amen. And he gets mad at the messenger and dies a miserable man. The doctors let him down and he dies of this disease of feet. Okay, verse 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Who's, in whom there is no guile, so yeah. to say, such as Nathaniel. Now, the other side of that, unfortunately, was Asa's case. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth, thou shalt have wars. <laughs> I mean, God is looking. God's examining God's examining our hearts, and he's looking for people to, that he can, can show himself strong on behalf. You know what that tells me? The pickings are pretty slim, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah was a mess, right? But they couldn't find 10 righteous people in the whole city. That's it. They couldn't find anybody. It, appear, it appears that the Lord is really struggles <laughs> to find people that are devoted enough and pure enough in heart to bless in the way he wants to bless. <laughs> He's looking for them. He's looking for them everywhere. He's searching everywhere, all over the earth. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for people to show himself strong Amen. on behalf of those whose heart is perfect, is is mature and complete and pure before him. None of us are perfect fully, but we can be mature and godly and spiritual in our thinking and in the way that we respond to these things. God's, God is looking for people to bless. Amen. Isn't that something? God's looking, actively searching for people that are living godly enough for him to bless in a powerful, strong, and a mighty way. Certainly hope that the Lord would bless us to have that purity of heart yes, in, in such a way that he, would, that he would examine the thoughts and the intents of our heart and that his determination, his determination would be, this is an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. But in those, in those weak moments... Those weak moments of struggle down in the valley. Some of the hardest moments. I can just list off about three or four of them. Some of the hardest moments that I've ever had in my life. One or two of them was in a group. But there was about two or three where it was just me and the Lord. It was just me and the Lord in a bedroom. Just me and the Lord in the living room. And, you know, in those moments, I think that I have felt the presence of the Spirit of God as strongly as I have in any other circumstance. And I mean, boy, I, I love public worship. I love being in a, in a good meeting. Amen. But when the Lord condescends in His Holy Spirit, when you are in your lowest moment, and it's just you and the Lord, those are the special Intimate and the Lord gives us this is a lot bigger topic, but the Lord gives us those moments so that we can prove Him to be faithful ourselves. Amen. It's not just what my 
preacher said. It's not just what my parents believe. It's not just that I'm a member of this church. I, I have proven and tested God individually in my lowest moment. And he was there. Amen. He was there. God, God is gracious enough to give you those moments Amen. to strengthen your faith. And I'll tell you, when Nathaniel heard <laughs> that there was somebody that knew what happened under the fig tree, he said, this is God. This is the Son of God. Because I know that I felt God in the midst of that suffering underneath that fig tree. It was just me and God. And if he knows about it, he's God. Amen. <laughs> he's the Son of God, the King of Israel. God knows all. He sees all. And praise God, he is our faithful high priest that ever liveth to make intercession for us and knows us intimately. May we live in such a way and serve him faithfully that he will show himself strong on behalf of us whose heart, hopefully, is perfect and pure without deceit before him. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.